welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Proper Mental, episode 68, and my guest this week is Mr. Ben Coomber. Ben has worked in the fitness industry for over 14 years. He's been a personal trainer, a coach, a nutritionist, a speaker, and an educator. He's also the host of the Ben Coomber radio podcast, and he's someone that I've followed on social media for a long time. I always enjoy his content. I get a lot out of it, and I always find him to be very, very well-researched, very measured, very evidence-based, and a lot of fun as well. And it was seeing some of the things he's been posting about recently that kind of inspired me to reach out to have a bit of a chat with him. But 18 months ago, as we recorded this, Ben and his family had COVID. And since then, he's been dealing with some of the side effects and after effects of having long COVID. And one of these side effects was depression, because apparently long COVID can play about with your serotonin levels. And depression isn't something that Ben's had to deal with before. So it was all new territory for him. And it took a bit of navigating. Also, as someone who spent a long time in the fitness industry... Ben is used to being very healthy, very active, very fit and strong. And suddenly, thanks to long COVID, he wasn't those things anymore. And there was quite a lot of adjustment there for him. And a lot of work around identity and things regarding his work that maybe previously defined him. And it's been a bit of a journey for him. And he's documented it on social media, which I found fascinating, to be quite honest. He's done a lot of experimentation. He's done a lot of research. He's worked a lot of stuff out. And he's had to look at his life and reevaluate and make some changes. And I thought in the first instance, if this has been going on for Ben, it's been going on for a lot of other people probably. The depression side of long COVID isn't something that's been particularly documented, not that I'd seen anyway. So hopefully there's a few people listening to this now that are kind of thinking, ah, oh, right, now everything kind of makes sense. But also the whole process of mental ill health coming into your life and you having to adjust the way that you live and reanalyze what you're all about and make some changes whether you kind of want to or not. I found that really fascinating as a parallel to recovery from a period of mental ill health or a mental illness. And I think there's a lot to be learned from Ben's current journey. And we also talk about the mindset behind this stuff. We talk about the importance of doing the inner work as well as the outer work. We also chat about Ben's journey into fitness and how he got into this world in the first place and all the different mindset related stuff that he's learned along the way. It's a fascinating chat and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I can't thank Ben enough for coming on. If you'd like to connect with him on social media, it is at Ben Coomer in all the usual places. And if you go to bencoomer.com, there's loads of information about all the different things he does. He's got an education academy. He's got a supplements company, all of which are highly recommended and worth checking out. And if you've got an interest in the fitness industry, previous episodes that I've recorded with people from that world include uh, Dr. Mike Banner, Mike II, Lucy Lord, Paul Mort, and Dr. Amelia Thompson. And if you know Ben, you might have heard of some of those guys and they'd be well worth a listen as well. You can catch me on social media at Proper Mental Podcast, or you can email me via the website propermentalpodcast.com and there's loads of info there about previous guests and different things that I've been up to. And if you're a new listener or someone who's been listening for a while and has yet to get around to leaving a review, if you could drop me five stars on Spotify or a few kind words on Apple iTunes, it would be very much appreciated. It really makes a difference. And this is episode 68 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Ben Coomer. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy.
So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Mr. Ben Coomber. How are you, mate? Hello, sir. Thank you for welcoming me onto the show. Oh, mate. Well, thank you very much. I really, um, really appreciate your time. Um, I reached out to you, Ben, with a very specific uh, topic in mind. You know, I've been watching, I've followed you on social media for a long time, and I've been reading a lot of your posts recently about your experiences with, with long COVID and how that's affected your mental health. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about. I think it's very current, very relevant for people. And um, maybe people aren't sort of talking about the mental aspects of the actual physical virus, you know. And um, but before we get into that, I was wondering if we could rewind it back just a little bit, mate, and talk about about you and how you got into the work that you do in the sort of health and fitness and nutrition space. Because would I be right in thinking that you weren't necessarily that young lad who sort of grew up living in the gym? Definitely. Uh, um when i talk about my journey now i I sort of have to now recant oh it's actually quite a while ago i sort of started you sort of lose track of your career and then sort of kids happen and then all of a sudden you're like oh it's fifth it's been 15 years wow (laughs) so uh i'm now clawing back through the the library yeah so when i was 18 i was obese had a load of health challenges suffered with adhd asthma eczema um and kind of went on a journey of self-improvement because I was in or wanted to get into the sort of acting and performing arts industry. I was uh, um, auditioning for drama school and uh, was getting a lot of rejection, essentially. Wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve. And there was a point where I had to look at myself and go, perhaps I'm part of the problem. Perhaps I'm not performing well because I'm not confident. I'm not my best self. I'm very overweight and I don't you know, I, I know the stigma has changed a lot now, but, you know, back in the day, there would have been a stigma against overweight people going into acting because, you know, that's just, it was, it is, you know, I got bullied all throughout my childhood and I was the only overweight person in my school. So, you know, it wasn't the norm. Anyway, I went on this journey of self-development, hit quite a few challenges and then struck on some gold, essentially found the right kind of help and lost 5.5 stone in about six to eight months wow and that kind of radical physical transformation obviously transformed a lot of our other areas of my life transformed or started to transform my confidence my self-worth I started to just enjoy being me more and it kind of then just sort of gently rolled this tiny little snowball down a hill and over the years, that kind of desire to improve has just led into other areas of my life. And uh, I was never really cut out to be an employee. I just don't have the, the genetics and the DNA for it. So I became self-employed when I was 20, uh, have had, you know, sort of various jobs throughout the years, but I've always kind of been an entrepreneur, self-employed and just kind of combined that with the fitness industry I've coached I've traveled the world teaching I've run retreats and now do education we have a supplement company so yeah it all started with just a weight loss transformation and then it's kind of like oh this is pretty cool and (laughs) it hasn't stopped since oh mate yeah I think that's um that's quite a common thing isn't it that people start off aiming for like a physical transformation and it's the more the more mindset aspects that come along with that along the way um, that have the biggest difference. You know, that people start off thinking it's a weight thing. And of course, the physical benefits are they're obvious, right? They're quite easy to understand. But the the mindset stuff, you know, the, what would you say were some of the some of the things that 
how it helped you basically as you kind of got got healthier and got stronger how did that help you to see yourself differently and how you show up in the world yeah I think the biggest thing was confidence and I don't think the world of self-development talks about this enough um if you can become confident as a person have a high level of self-worth then you'll just be more successful in life you'll just enjoy life because you'll throw yourself into things because you have confidence as a person and then when you develop yourself professionally you have confidence in your professional skills whatever that is whether you're an engineer or a, a coach or an accountant like it, do, it doesn't matter so I think that was the biggest shift for me now don't get me wrong it had a lot of its challenges because I lived my identity through characters so when you're an actor you play a character right and I kind of went throughout my whole teen years trying to find these characters that would allow me to fit in so I was always the jolly person I was trying to be funny trying to fit in and I can almost remember having like five friendship groups that I never fit into at school but all these friendship groups I wore like a different identity I was just trying to fit in because I was the bullied overweight kid so I think the journey for me really just allowed me to see that I could be confident, I could be brilliant, I could be the best version of myself, but that will take work, that will be challenging, it will be uncomfortable. The good thing is, is I was able to do that as an entrepreneur, and I think sometimes that makes it a bit easier because you're operating in your own framework, you get to decide the framework. If you're an employee and you go to work for eight hours a day, then there's, there's elements where you know, sometimes you might not find the journey as easy because you're within an ecosystem where you're kind of sometimes, you know, in a lot of jobs told how to behave, how to turn up, how to do, etc. So I suppose I'm kind of grateful for taking that that step, grateful to myself. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. And that kind of fuels everything else. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm really intrigued by what you see when you just look into people's eyes and the amount of people I see. I look into their eyes and I'm like, you're just not confident in yourself. And I would love to see you be more confident in yourself because everything would have a transformation because you take ownership over more areas of your life. And I think that's really cool. And I haven't kind of navigated this in my own teaching yet. But I'd love to talk a bit more about it because it's almost like a bit of a secret source that actually, if you just became confident in yourself, owned yourself, developed yourself, cool shit's going to happen all throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. It's a lovely way to, um, to look at it. I think it's something that has come up for me a lot through talking to people on this podcast is a lot of people who have been through really like rough periods of ill health. So much of that is attached to identity and losing sight of themselves because of how they feel they have to show up in the world, you know, like living a very inauthentic lifestyle and that can really affect us. That can really, you know, that it's a common theme that people have been through some sort of breakdown, some sort of disturbance, you know, have some sort of diagnosis. And a long period of their life was spent living inauthentically. Like you said, having big friendship groups where you don't quite fit in, you know, trying on different masks for different situations. That's that's a huge factor in mental health that doesn't get talked about, you know, in the media quite as, as much as it probably should. But yeah, if, uh, yeah, learning how to do it is the hard bit, right? Because uh, I suppose if you kind of show different people different faces, you kind of lose sight of what the real one is. And then that's when it gets really, really hard to, to back yourself to show up in the world. Mm. Definitely. Um, I don't know about you, something I've been thinking about a bit and uh, 
part of this kind of problem I've been facing mentally is coming out of having long COVID and being ill for so long, you get stuck in your own thoughts um, because you spend so much time questioning, like, why me? What's, when am I going to get out of this place? Like, because I kind of went into like a chemical depression. So they say that long COVID affects your serotonin. Um, so I, I was waking up and I was like, I just can't feel normal. Like whatever I do, whether it was a cup of coffee or go out for a walk, I just felt the same. And that kind of, because it left me in a state of like questioning and, and playing the victim too much, and it took me some time to come out of that, which I needed to, to help with my healing. That habit kind of carried over into when I was not suffering. So recently I've been like questioning a lot of things. And actually, literally this week, I've come to this realization. that's like, actually, you just need to stop questioning. You don't need to question anymore. Like, go and do, go and be. And then when there's actually friction, when you're actually unhappy, then question. And I think that's sometimes the problem with personal development is the skills that we acquire and teach people are very much aimed at self-inquiry. But when does that stop? When does inquiry say, you're done? Like, draw a line for it. You've changed, you've improved, you'll come back to it. You know, and we we kind of develop maybe coping mechanisms or little mantras or affirmations or just something that when we feel a certain way, we kind of check ourselves. We do a thing to help us. And then we kind of need to have the strength to back away. And I think sometimes that's the danger. I've felt myself go into that. You get into the personal development of yourself so much that you don't just sort of stop and go, we're done there. Just live, live, man. Yeah. That's why we develop ourselves, right? We develop ourselves to live a better quality of life. But sometimes it can cause you almost more anxiety to stay in that state because you're like, well, there's got to be more. I've got to ask more questions. And it's like, maybe you've done with questions for now. Maybe you just need to. And I, I don't know if there's a bit of that for a lot of people. You know, I, I see this energy and I don't know if I'm right or I'm wrong, where we've come out of lockdown and it's almost like people are carrying this kind of lockdown backpack a bit with all the baggage from lockdown in it. We haven't fully shed it because we spent so much time at home thinking like just life was not normal. We didn't have those points where we explored, had adventures, have fun, had laughs, got drunk, like whatever. And I, I don't know if some people have fully shed that. And it's something that I'm thinking about, you know, not too much now because, you know, you spend such an extended period of time in a state. It's hard for it not to actually affect you. You know, we, we talk about going back to normal. Has everyone been able to return back to normal? Really? If not, how do we navigate that? I think that's a really important conversation because I've definitely felt it. Um, and if I felt it, I can imagine other people have as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I see, I can identify that with loads, man. Yeah, that's a fantastic, um, fantastic point. And I think sometimes when we're asking ourselves all these questions, when we're going on this inner journey to to try and find something, when you don't know what that something is, like you say, sometimes you can look too hard or even look for something that isn't there, you know, and there isn't an answer, right? There isn't a definitive answer. You know, we just kind of know when we feel that we've got from it what we're trying to get from the process when i first went into therapy that was my that was my thing i was going to write i'm going to find the answer to all of my problems you know and i'm going to like i'm going to therapy the shit out of this therapy and i'm going to like work it and um that was something i had to learn was just to kind of like 
just go with the process. And like you say, you almost do it in stages rather than just try and find all the answers because maybe there aren't any answers, you know, maybe mm. it's the, it's the journey and it's the learning and then taking what we've learned and going, applying that in our lives to see the benefit of it. Maybe mm. that's the, that's what we should be aiming at rather than get into this definitive place of, uh, you know, some sort of in, enlightenment, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think another trick of self-development um, is you, you go away and I do this a lot. You go away and you try and learn something to be better at a thing let's just say parenting a lot of parents will be listening i do i learn uh from parenting books and like to try and be the best parent i can be and you can learn all you want but sometimes you've just got to sit with that stuff and go and do it because you've got to kind of almost like be in the situation you've got to break it and i do this in the business in the business that i run as well like i'm now in a very different role than i used to be you know three four five you know years ago because you develop and evolve right and sometimes you do all this learning and it's like, oh, how do I apply it? What, what am I doing? And then you kind of get stuck with those ideas. And it's like, we just need to learn sometimes to just be a bit more patient, let it play out and go, ah, oh, this, this is the situation I use this thing that I learned. And it's like you mentioned before we went on air about a post that you'd saved of mine um, from like last year. And it's like, you probably read that it's stuck in your mind and you might be thinking, oh, not quite sure how that's going to play out or who I might use that for to coach or help, but I'm going to keep that because I know it's going to show up in my life. Sometimes I think that's also sometimes a trick that personal development plays on you that you learn these things and then instantly you're a better human. And sometimes you just got to like bank it. You've got to create like that mental note and just go, I'm going to use that one day and I'm going to trust myself to use it. Cause otherwise you fall into that trick of like, again, overanalyzing it. And it's like, where are men meant to be using this? Where does this show up in my life? And it's just like, just wait, be patient. And I definitely struggle with that being quite an energetic person, quite type A personality, got ADHD. So I do struggle with that. So I have to dial myself in a bit, but I think parenting is good for that because, you know, you, you go to work for however many hours a day and then you're back into the chaos and sometimes it doesn't give you enough time to think. And sometimes that could be a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's quite easy to get, um, to get swept along, isn't it? But yeah, I love that. That's, um, that's really interesting because I suppose it's like having tools in a toolbox, right? And you use the right tool for the job when that job happens to come up and yeah, rather than just trying to use all your tools on every job and make this stuff, make this stuff work. And there's something really nice about just trusting the process and backing yourself. You know, I've done the work. I feel I feel confident that I can go out there and do this thing that I want to do or just be myself in amongst my life and just backing yourself to kind of respond in the right way when these situations come up rather than going out there actively seeking out those situations to try out all your new, uh, <laughs> all your new things that you've learned. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's also something as well. Like when people used to say to me, um, oh something such is good for mental health and i was like i was in a really bad way ben for a long time and i'd go and try those things and they wouldn't work and they wouldn't work for all sorts of manner of reasons but then i would blame me you know so i'd be like well this thing this book that everyone says read this book read this book for mental health read this book for mental health and i'd go and i'd read it and i'd try and do the things out of it it wouldn't work and then i'd internalize that so i'd be like oh i mean everyone says this book's right i'm useless it must be me you know and that was more stuff to just pile on my pile on myself but i really like that idea of kind of like reading it taking it in and then just waiting for the opportunity and you might never need some of this stuff right you mm. might never need it 
I um I've just finished writing my book that should hopefully come out September of this year, and it's called How to Live an Awesome Life, and it's a self development book. And the reason I wrote it is because it's what I'm most passionate about. I'm passionate about people seeing that there's these core pillars in their lives. That if they optimize it, they're going to lead to a, probably a pretty decent outcome. Like I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I think I've done okay myself. And I sort of was rereading the book a couple of weeks ago and I was like, this is, this is a little bit serious in places. I need to kind of tone this down. And I got to the end of the book and I kind of wrote a little paragraph at the end. It's like, we can do all of this, but it's absolutely useless if we're not having fun, if we're not enjoying life, if there's not just pleasure in all the journey. Because again, self-development can almost feel quite serious, you know, if you start getting deep, it's, you know, it's heavy, man. Right. Like yeah, you, know, you yeah. get trapped in your thoughts and it's like, hang on a second. We only want to stay there for as long as needed. Once you've done it and you're in that good place. And this is where we might talk about, you know, work-life balance. It's not really about like maybe working less for some people. It is. It's like when you're not working, you're having a fuckload of fun. Like whether you're with your kids, your friends, your family, whatever, that you're just having a lot of fun. And I, just again think sometimes we lose sight of that and it is very easy to do that with young kids as well and when life gets serious and there's you know mad stuff going on and um that's why i think you know we're quite we're quite good planners in our family like we're, we're always looking at the logistics of family life i'm looking at logistics for my business but i'm also looking as much as i can at the logistics of having fun when am i going out like, you know, because you lose sight of all that when you become a parent because you just get bogged down in stuff and um, life is for living. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I think like particularly when kids enter the picture, you know, we touched on identity before, but then your whole identity changes. Right. So you're not Ben anymore. You're dad. And mm. that's a different, a very different role. And it's very, very easy to kind of lose sight of all the things that you liked doing be before you became a parent and it's almost like accepted by society people used to say to me um you know when i was expecting my first when i was expecting my son and people used to say to me oh you going to the gym well you won't be able to do that anymore and i just think like well why not okay i might have to go less i might have to go at different times i might not be able to go whenever i want like i do now but surely i don't have to stop going to the gym but they meant it you know like it was almost accepted that we have to give all this stuff up and I think it's no coincidence, you know, we're talking about mental health and the stats about, you know, men up until like the age of 50 and the suicide rates and stuff like that. I think this is such a big part of that statistic, that age group is people becoming dads and not doing the stuff that they enjoy anymore. You know, not making time for it or finding time because it is difficult, isn't it? The family balance is, is difficult and you have to treat it. Like you said, you have to be, you have to look at the logistics to make stuff happen and find the time to, um, to have fun and to reconnect with yourself or your friendship groups or whatever. Yeah, because the modern world also doesn't help that because we are connected now more than ever. And as a parent, you're being pulled at a lot for your time. There's, you know, humans that need your support guidance love care attention food milk etc and then there's like work there's the mobile phone there's media and it, it it does take quite strict boundaries i think to make sure that you get that mental space because the modern world adding parenting adding the modern workplace i think it can be mentally very heavy 
And um, it's something that I'm trying to improve a little bit now. I think it's got a bit worse because of lockdown and the behaviours that developed as a result of lockdown. And I think that stuff's just really important because, again, you won't have that ebb and flow if you don't have those boundaries. Because, And this is where you know, I encourage people to get really comfortable with silence in their life because, actually, you know, if you've got a minute while you wait for you know, your wife to do whatever with the baby so you can go out the door or whatever – Rather than picking out your phone and having a scroll, maybe just have a minute of silence because you don't know when that next bit of silence is going to come for a start. But also the silence is just it's just space, space to breathe, space to be. But, you know, a lot of us now live in a world where we don't have a lot of that. And if you ask most parents what they want more of, it's probably more space, more time, more just moments where things aren't pulling at you. But we also have a bit of control in that, in that we can't, we can put ourselves in a situation where things aren't always asking for our attention. I'm not saying this is easy, like the habits that need to be broken and stuff. But if we have awareness of this, then we can start to, you know, change the pattern of behavior and it might help us out a bit. Yeah, definitely. Awareness is always the first step, right? Once you're aware, you can make some changes. And, you know, so it's, it's not easy to make changes. And sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes we go back on what we said we were going to do. But as long as you've got that awareness, you can always sort of, um, you can always adapt, right? You can always do mm-hmm. things. And I think as modern humans, we're just so overstimulated. You know, if you think about what we're designed for, you know, it's like pretty much just kind of like chilling and staying alive and, you know, foraging for food. And yet you just walk down the road. I could pop out the door now and walk down my street and I've got like flashing lights and cars and noise and alarms. And, you know, we're just on high alert. And like you say, grabbing that that minute, that five minutes, that 10 minutes is um is so, so, so important. But we have to learn how to do it. Hey, because. I know people who can't sit still for five minutes, you know, and I do it myself, guilty of myself, you know, if, like if you like logged off now for two minutes and said, I'll be back in a sec, I'd have to struggle not to reach for my phone. You know, it's just kind mm-hmm. of, uh, it's the modern way, isn't it? Um, and yeah, I've got to work hard to, um, to find that time within it. Definitely. It's a thing that I've learned both from having long COVID and being a parent is just, yeah, being more patient, being more comfortable, um, you know, experiences in life teach us where we need to be if we're listening and you talk about awareness awareness is key and I think on reflection long COVID was teaching me to actually properly slow the fuck down because I would have made myself very ill um the way I look at what I experienced is it was just the straw that broke the camel's back um I was talking to my therapist a couple of months ago And uh, I was recounting a story where in my late 20s, I started to get these nightmares, nightmares. It was kind of like, yeah, it was a nightmare. And um, it played out in real life. And whether that was psychosomatic or physical, I don't know. But what would happen is I'd be playing rugby and like all the energy would leave my body. Like I wouldn't be able to get up off the floor. I'd be like, oh, my God. Like and it wasn't a I'm tired. I'm unfit lack of energy it was like someone had pulled the plug out of my back and I just like powered down and I needed like two minutes to recover from my energy and I used to get these nightmares and then it started to happen in my real life and it was almost like maybe that nightmare was a sign that that's going to happen if I don't do something about it and if I think about my early 20s my early 20s were fine and for most of us in our early 20s, like we're young, we're resilient. You know, I did everything. I went to uni. There was one point in uni, I had five different jobs. 
you know, I traveled the world speaking, doing retreats. Like I lived my twenties hard. I did everything and everything. I had fun, but I worked hard. I achieved a lot. And then I think I got to my late twenties and my body started to send me signals. I started to say like, your body's not quite capable of all the things that you're throwing at it. And then I got into my thirties and I was getting kind of similar signals, but then my sort of lifestyle changed a bit. So it kind of accounted for that, slowed down a bit, got a house, married, that kind of stuff. It naturally just sort of sedates you a bit. And then I got the virus and I think it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And you, if you look at the research in chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, you, there's quite often a virus that stimulates that happening. Um, and when I was looking at, you know, all of my symptoms and trying to find more research, I started to read around the topic of chronic fatigue syndrome. And I was like, this is, this is really what I've got, you know, whether we're diagnosing long COVID as chronic fatigue or whatever, I'm self-diagnosing myself and saying, I have all of these symptoms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, upon reflection, long COVID taught me to really slow down, start to evaluate where I need to be. Because the pace that I was living, even though I'd slowed down a bit, it can't work with two kids. Like, it just cannot work. And um, it's amazing the mind's role in disease. So I was already nearly, nearly-ish out of the long COVID journey, but I was still getting these like micro flares. So basically what, what happens is you, you're really ill and then you improve a bit and you do some too much physical activity and then you kind of have this flare and you're back two or three weeks and you're in bed, you can't think, like yada, yada, yada. And as you improve, hopefully, um, you, the flares just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was at this point where for six weeks, I'd just been having these like flares almost for six hours. I felt terrible for six hours and felt fine. And I was just, and the day my second daughter was born, all my symptoms went. And I was like, what the, and I was like, well, what was I experiencing emotionally? How much anxiety was I hiding from myself of like, what's coming and if anything after the birth it's easier because you know what you're dealing with like you've got a baby it's got to be fed clothed etc but leading up to it like it's quite it's quite scary you know especially if there's some problems with you know leading up to the birth which we had so it was actually all this background anxiety that you know was probably and must have been playing a role in my illness and I just, again, you will know this because of your study and awareness of mental health and the power of the brain. But I don't think enough people connect those dots of like, OK, we've got the physical body and then we've got the mental body. And then we've also, if we're honest with ourselves, we've got the spiritual body. You know, what we believe in, what our value system is, the environment that we grew up in, that all creates friction in our life. If we are in that position, like, you know, don't get me wrong. Some people are in that place, some people aren't. But spiritually, some people are very out of alignment with where they want to be and how they've grown up. And that can cause a lot of anguish, a lot of mental turmoil. So, yeah, I mean, my experience taught me a lot and I'm grateful for it. Very difficult, but I'm very grateful for it as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful way to um, to reframe it and, and take the lesson from it as well. I think, that's, um, I think that's awesome that you can do that. And it's funny you should mention that, actually. I've had a psychologist on... Um, who's uh, called Ellie Harper, Dr. Ellie Harper. She's the human flow psychologist. And uh, we talked a lot about kind of what you were just saying. And um, she, the way she described it is that your subconscious brain cannot process contradiction. 
So if you're living a life, if you're sort of saying one thing and then like not living in tune with what you are saying, your subconscious brain just can't work it out. And then because it can't grasp it, it hemorrhages energy, that emotional energy or spiritual energy or however you want to say it. So not the energy we need to kind of go to gym or go for a walk or anything, but that that internal energy, that's where it spills out through the gaps. And it, you know, it plays in exactly with what what you just um what you just said there, Ben. Yeah. But so when did it um when did you test positive for for COVID? Were you did you have the sort of the classic symptoms when you took that test? Uh never took the test because I got or I think I got COVID at that point, right at the beginning of lockdown, where we were basically told, stay at home. Like, if you've got symptoms, just stay at home. Like, that was the narrative. And we'd also just had our first daughter. So we were kind of shielding anyway, didn't even have family and friends around, like nothing. So when I got it, just felt like I had a bit of a cold. Uh, Wife lost her taste and, like, smell. Um, but we didn't even think anything of it because we were new parents, absolutely knackered, weren't sleeping. So we were just like, like whatever. Um, so we didn't test because we just didn't feel that there was a need. And then I found it weird that obviously my wife lost her taste. I was like, well, what else does that? She lost it for like a good two months. And in um, around the time we think we had it, we were having a couple of family gatherings because that was when the government were like, look, you can have six people in your garden. It's the summer. Like, you know, let's just see how it goes. And then I did a, a bike ride, um, a four hour like sportive bike ride. And I finished the bike ride. And um, a couple of weeks after it, I was just really struggling to recover. I was like, I am not this unfit. I lost all my motivation for exercise. It was just a bit weird. And then I slowly got back to exercise, didn't quite feel myself. And then I did a charity event and the charity event was a nine, uh, a nine hour uphill walk to replicate summiting Everest. Oh, okay. Everest. Yeah, it was Everest. And um, that was obviously quite tough. It was you know, walking uphill for nine hours and um, celebrated, had a beer, grabbed a pizza. Uh, then the next day couldn't get out of bed. I wow. just couldn't move. And then the next, I was like, then the next day, then the next day. And I was like, this is weird. I'm not this unfit. And then I probably stayed like that for like at least six weeks trying to figure things out. I was like, you know, and I just thought, look, I'm just going to accept that I'm tired, not sleeping well. Cause our first daughter was a really bad sleeper. So we had a lot of kind of issues there and I didn't want to overthink things too much. Cause I was just really sleeping quite badly. And then it just went on and on and on. And I was like, I need kind of help. So I went and sought out a practitioner that I knew that would start to help me figure things out. And then at that time, sort of long COVID started to be talked about like properly. And then the symptoms started to get kind of listed online and the media started to talk about it. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Okay. All right. Um, and then I sort of slowly started to piece things together. But of course, there was no treatment at that point. Like no one knew anything it was just like rest you know and then I was like fuck this I'm not just you know there's more that I can do here so that's when I started to read around the topic started to look at some studies that had been done in China because obviously China was ahead of us um in the sort of COVID race or not race but you know just the pandemic and um then there was terminology being shared between long COVID and chronic fatigue so I was like well I'm going to go and study chronic fatigue so if there's a link Chronic fatigue has been around for a long time. So I might as well go and research what already exists. And that's sort of how I kind of piece it together. So 
Um, that's probably a bit of a problem with my story because, you know, I can't say to people, oh, I, I actually, you know, tested positive because at the time there was no such thing. Um, but yeah, and then it went on for 15 months, roughly. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's pretty, um, I think it's, you know, it's pretty easy to say when they're in the middle of a global pandemic and, you know, people are losing their, um, their sense of smell and taste and stuff like that. It's a pretty safe bet, isn't it? <laughs> that it's, that yeah. it's COVID. Yeah. We don't need a, don't need a test for that, but that's, um that's unbelievable. It's really it's interesting. You mentioned there the research you did, because it is something I associate with you. I followed you on social media for a, um, for a long time and you're kind of known as that guy like if Ben says something on his socials there's been a lot of research there's science to back it up there's papers to back it up did that process which is like seems to be your process did that kind of help you to kind of get some um, to feel better about it because it must have been scary right so like your a certain amount of your life revolves around being fit and healthy you know you are your own brand to some extent um obviously you got kids as well and we worry about our own health i know i have much more since i've had kids you know i want to be around for as long as possible so i suppose was the research did that help you kind of get a bit of a a, a bit more control of a very uncontrollable situation a little bit i had to use a lot of intuition a lot of kind of uh, eastern medicine as well and sort of just differing thought processes and over time just had to listen to my body so even in the world of chronic fatigue there's nothing really that's that proven there's things that's talked about but chronic fatigue is a very hard disease to study um, from what I believe and understand it's very multifactorial so it's not you can't just say I'll go and fix this problem with your mitochondria, which a lot of people talk about because they've been doing that and it's not really quite worked. So it's like, well, why isn't the mitochondria function? Why is the immune system so inhibited? So that was the point where I sort of just had to say the best thing that you can do in this situation is look at all systems, physical, mental, emotional and do the work. And that's where I just tried to do the work on all levels um, the kind of spiritual mental was probably the hardest thing. And I think it is for all of us because it is more untangible. Like if a doctor says to you, take a pill, take a supplement, eat this meal or go and do this thing, then you can see it, you can feel it, you can do it. You quite often get quite a quick reaction. So I think everyone is always going to struggle with the mental and emotional and that's okay. That's normal, but it still needs to be done. It's work that has to happen. So I just approached it like that. And there were some really key things that I felt kind of helped um, and some things, well, a lot of things that I did that I would probably disregard and not, not recommend other people did. <laughs> yeah. Try, trial and error, eh? trial and error. Yeah. yeah. Um, at what point during this whole process then did you feel that your, your mental state started to be affected? You know, when did you feel like your mental health wasn't, um, wasn't keeping up? Well, day one like not being able to get out of bed, feeling totally flat, like someone had just pulled the plug out of my body. Like I'd never experienced anything like it. It's like someone had uh, put bands across me with weights on and I just couldn't get out of bed. It would just spring me back into bed. Never felt anything like it. Really deep, deep fatigue, full body. And of course that affects you mentally because physically you're not in a good place. And then what I understand now is that I had a chemical sort of induced depression where I just wasn't producing much serotonin so however much I slept just didn't feel any better um, and that sort of recovery was taking months and months and months so yeah day one wow and was it kind of like your 
um, with with the rest and with looking after yourself that you kind of these systems started to to level out because like you say there isn't like a treatment out there you know is that um what what sort of because you seem like you're um you know you're you're coming back now right you've had a good few weeks that symptom free and you know i'm just interested in the sort of the turning point really how how you started to come back to yourself the biggest thing i think that still helped the most is doing daily ice baths um I felt it was very essential for the level of inflammation that my body had. And there's data to show that it helps fight inflammation. So there was a physical thing happening there. Um, but there was also a big mental thing. When you get into an ice bath, oof, does it affect your mind in an instant? It's amazing. If anyone's jumped into the sea, you get the same effect. You get this all full body rush where your nervous system just fires up. You can't think of anything else apart from I'm fucking cold. Like, and that's a great sharpener. It's almost like the most aggressive form of meditation because meditation is sort of allowing your thoughts to come in, but being free from them attaching to you. Meditation isn't like making your mind go silent. That's like impossible. It might happen for a second or two, but it's about allowing things to just come and go, not attaching, being free you know, with your thoughts. And it does that. It sharpens your mind and you're like, Phew. and any negativity leaves your body like instantly. So it was a great way for me to physically and mentally become more attuned. Um, I had to learn how to really calm my nervous system. I didn't realize how much I excited my nervous system by everything that I did. The washing up, like I do the washing up. I'm like, let's do the washing up. And I do it at like 50 miles an hour. And I'm like, and I was, you know, suffering and was doing the washing up and I just caught myself and my heart rate was really high. And I'm like, I'm doing the washing up at 130 beats per minute heart rate. Like, it's just not normal. Like, relax. So even when I was, you know, relaxing, I wasn't relaxing. My nervous system wasn't really relaxed. And that was one of the hardest things I had to learn because I'd been creating that behavior over years and years and years. Like, I'd spent my 20s going hard like really hard work play everything and i couldn't my body couldn't keep up with it anymore I needed to chill, chill out and um you know from what i learned now from all the reading i've done for you to be able to really heal you need to calm your nervous system you need your heart rate to be low you need your blood pressure to be no low you need to not be in this flight state of having to fight your environment you need to be calm you know to digest your food and um that took quite a while yeah like learning a whole new way of uh or living and you know like when you're poorly and like you say when you've got little ones in the house as well it can be quite hard to uh you know yeah to find that that sense of calm and that and mm. that peace that you need yeah definitely you mentioned um you mentioned uh, chatting to your therapist before ben yeah. Is that something that you undertook for to help you with your problems around this? Or is that something you've always been, um, you know, a, a service you've always used? I probably first had a therapy session. Oh, I want to say probably about seven years ago. It was unsuccessful seven years ago because I saw a therapist. That I just I'll be honest, I didn't think she was good enough, skilled enough. Um, but then upon reflection, I thought I probably had too much ego in that process and actually was blocking my own self-development by not allowing her to really inquire. I also went for two purposes. And I think that was 
incorrect. It was like, I've got these two things. I'm here. Can you fix them? And like, see you later. So she probably was great. And it was probably me that didn't allow the therapy to work. Um, and then I've had sort of intermittent and then I kind of really committed to it about three years ago where I was at a place where I just wanted to really understand things more. Um, I'd done a lot of my own self-development reading, you know, podcast, journaling, meditating, just, you know, working through it myself, which is quite often, you know, one of the best ways. But there's always a point if we want to really understand stuff where we're going to need professional insight, we're going to need to chat to someone. And um, I kind of have had it I had it kind of quite consistently like every three to four weeks and then kind of it became every three months and then I started to have it a bit more when I was suffering with long COVID as a sort of support mechanism um because I was just feeling in that much of a dark place and it was kind of a shame because I almost went into or re-entered into therapy not knowing what the problem was so I was going through therapy sort of like I'm in this really dark place I don't know what's going on and we were going through all these kind of like things that didn't really help because actually I was feeling quite depressed because of a chemical you know, problem. I was suffering with a disease. Now, don't get me wrong, like my current therapist helped a bit, but not as much as she could have done because at the reality was I had an illness as well. Um, so I would always recommend people speak to someone like just and I, I get that it's tough because. If you're paying for it privately, a session with a therapist might be 50, 60, 70 quid. My therapist, I think, is 75 pounds an hour. You know, I get that that's a lot of money, but our mental health is absolutely essential. Like it feeds into every area of our life. If you could have four sessions and understand a problem that could unleash your confidence or solve your relationship, like that's actually totally invaluable. That's totally worth 300 quid. Um, that's how I see it. Yeah. And I agree with you there, mate. Yeah, very much so. I kind of, I went um, private for my therapy and I've been in therapy for years now at this point, like pretty, pretty regular. And through the pandemic, I wasn't earning, you know, I wasn't earning, I'm self-employed. I had no money coming in. I remember saying to my wife, look, should we like, you know, could, could does the therapy need to go? You know, can we afford this? And I'm very lucky. And um, Kim said to me, you know, it's like, it's like paying the lecky bill, you know, we have to, we have to do it, you know, it's, it's not an option. And I kind of, I ended up double downing and going even more you know and i went into my savings for it but it's called life savings and there's a certain ir irony in that you know mm. that you know spending that money on on that and while we're talking on therapy and we touched on that that post of yours that i saved before but, you, but i'm going to throw it on your toes a little bit here mate you may or may not remember putting it out because it was almost a year ago for mental health day but you did a post about how exercise is not therapy do you do you remember that one do you kind of recall have i put you on the spot a bit there i do um are you going to reread it I, I can do if you want. I've got it on my phone in front of me, but you're essentially saying that a lot of people, um, a lot of people go to the gym or they go running or any sort of physical activity and they do it a lot. And they say, oh, it is my therapy. And the gist of your point was basically saying, well, it's not your therapy. You know, therapy is your therapy. And while exercise, physical activity can be great for, you know, looking after our mental health, it doesn't and shouldn't replace going to therapy and doing actual the actual work that seemed to be the gist of your your post yeah so reflecting on that i definitely agree i suppose looking at context around the topic it's kind of like anything that induces a state where we would feel better about ourselves so you could still i think run a parallel with having a glass of wine and feeling more relaxed you go to the gym you get an endorphin high it might make you forget 
the problem. It might give you space from the problem, but the problems are still going to be there. So if you continue to run to feel better about the life that you're in, you always got to come home to that. You know, the state is still going to be there. And I think I had a greater realization of that in the pandemic because I stopped exercising when I became a parent. Like I really didn't exercise much at all because the sleep was just so infrequent. And um, I started to get into a bit of a low place. Um, but I now know that that was because I was ill. Um, and I started to question like, oh, I need to exercise. Like I'm missing the exercise. It's the exercise that I need to make me feel good. And then I started to exercise and then it started to have a neutral effect. Like, it, you know, of course, it made me feel good for an hour or whatever, but the things were still there the next day. It didn't change. And then I sort of had to face that narrative that I was telling myself, of like, oh, I, I need this to feel good. And it's like, no, actually, I need to change my perspective on what is making me feel good. And I haven't exercised much for like a good 18 months. And I'm just as happy as I was when I was exercising, because I've learned to say that well, actually I don't need exercise in my life. It is a beneficial part of my life. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need it. Like it's not actually going to save me from anything. Like I'm fairly active. If you look at the research on how exercise helps you combat disease, you know, the biggest thing that we kind of need to do is just stay active, like move, like walk a lot, carry things like don't become sedentary. And of course, Increased physical activity has benefits, but, you know, we need to make sure that the narrative is sitting right, because especially with busy parents, especially with young kids, like the fitness industry creates a huge amount of pressure sometimes where it feels like that to be like, well, make time to go to the gym, like make time to do this. It's like, is that really important right now? Actually, it's not. Probably getting a nap is the, you know, the important thing right now. So, yeah, like you kind of summed up, as you read it, it's like therapy is your therapy. Like don't kind of almost medicate and think that you need it because it temporarily makes you feel good. Don't, you know, and there's, we all need things in our life that make us feel good, but it doesn't replace getting into a good mental state every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lovely way of uh, putting it considering, you know, I just kind of pulled that one out the bag at short notice. I but I think the way it really like um, stuck in my mind is I work in the rehab space, Ben. So I work with a lot of people who are basically either overtraining or under recovering, you know, however you want to, however you want to say it. And a, a lot of them will say to me, you know, when I say, look, this thing that you're doing is causing you the pain and we can, we can work around it, but we can't work through it. And we need to just take a step back from it. And people will often say to me, oh, I have to, I have to go to the gym. It's my therapy. It's my therapy. And I said, well, I go to therapy. I don't have to go seven days a week. You know, I don't have to go twice a day. It's a, it's a different thing. And I think trying to separate us, maybe it comes down to identity again, like we touched on before, you know, a lot of people, they are the gym person and they go to the gym and they train really hard and they wear the clothes all the time. And it's that sense of identity, maybe that people get attached to, but yeah, I think it can be quite easy to take something that's very good for us and start applying it maybe in the wrong way. And then that healthy thing can quite soon become unhealthy, I suppose. Mm. And fitness, especially in the world of sort of bodybuilding and weight training, it does end up attracting, in my experience, a lot of people that are struggling with a sense of identity and purpose and fulfillment 
because once you get in the gym, it does give you a great sense of purpose. I really enjoyed lifting weights, becoming stronger. But then there was a point where I was doing more and more and more. And it was like not getting any more benefit now. Like there's, there's literally a zero sum return. So I then had to kind of sit with that and be like, well, why am I doing it? Am I still getting the same reward out of it that, that I was? And I think I kept going to the gym a good three or four years trying to lift weights and build more muscle with zero outcome, like didn't get any more kind of progress where I could have spent a bit more time kind of going cycling outside or, you know, doing a bit more sport or whatever, rather than being in the gym. And don't get me wrong. I love the gym. I'm not, not recommending it, but a lot of the time we go to the gym to improve something. So we maybe want to become less, injury prone we want to build some muscle we want to lose some weight and it's a great tool to help that journey and stuff but we also do that to kind of live more outside of the gym to make us more capable if we want to play sport or go for a run or you know go for a long hike for a day and I was at the point where I was like I don't actually need four or five hours in the gym now I need two to keep on top of like my muscle mass prevent injury that kind of stuff otherwise I want to spend my time outside exploring doing pulling dragging you know um so we've got to make sure we do all the things for the right reasons and then you know we we often speak in the world of mental health about motivation and i always think motivation is a really interesting topic and i don't think a lot of us get sort of taught how to unpick why we're not feeling motivated and there's so many layers that contribute to it. And it's not usually one thing because life sort of can have a habit of just sort of sliding into a bit more of a negative place, right? A couple of bad things happen at work. So you get a bit pissed off and then you start to come home and you start to maybe eat a bit more in the evening or you start to drink a bit more in the evening or you start to stay up late because you've be angry at work and you want more time for yourself and you want to pacify your thoughts and then you don't sleep as much. So then sleep then affects how much you move and how much you exercise and then how positively you turn up to work. And then like a year later, you're like, I am demotivated. I'm like in a rut where actually it's not a thing. It's not a singular thing. You've kind of got to work back and unpick these layers and you're like, cool. And that's where sometimes you need a bit of a reset, a bit of an intervention. It's like, right, I'm going to bed late. Let's sort that out. I'm eating crap. Let's sort that out. I'm not enjoying my work. Let's go and sit down with my boss. Like, I don't know why, but I keep getting shirty with my wife. So I'm, I'm going to go and apologize, chat, explain things, work out a strategy. And then actually give it a couple of weeks. Your motivation's really shifting again because you've started to unpick the layers. And it, I think, again, it can happen with parents because your life changes so quickly. Habits get thrown, you know, really quickly coping mechanisms kind of change and maybe go out the window so you can see why you know we can talk about men i can talk about my experience like you get 18 months into being a parent and you're like i don't know who i am i don't know where i am like because you've had to adjust your identity so quickly and become a parent you haven't really thought about how to transition into that identity and i definitely took a little while to struggle to adapt to that because it's like oh well there'll be this point where i'll be able to like go back and live my single life like be able to travel as much as i want to do it no that's not going to happen anymore like things change um and i don't think we often get enough of a heads up 
from people or maybe inquire ourselves as to how that is actually going to change and we are going to have to shift identity a lot more like for some people it's harder than others i think for a type a personality it's very difficult because you're programmed to work and travel and do and you you quite often are a high achiever if you're other on the other end of the spectrum where you're a bit more relaxed a bit more of a chilled out kind of person you might find parenting a bit easier mentally because you kind of slip into it you're kind of like well this is kind of my pace of life anyway like whatever roll with the punches um but i can only talk loosely from my experience and a bit anecdotal i don't want to kind of pigeonhole and generalize too much there yeah sure it's a it's a complicated one isn't it but yeah i very much get what you mean i think when there's big life changes you know when you're kind of saying goodbye to a you know to a past life in a way like ideally you'd have time to to almost grieve it right it's almost like a, a, a kind of a trauma in a way you know and you'd have to grieve it and spend time making that transition but yeah when you become a parent it's just like bump that's gone now you've got to do this now's your job off <laughs> off you go but yeah mate that's probably a we could probably do a whole nother podcast on that ben right that's um yeah big topic big topic and indeed. then how much is social media playing into that like you're stuck at home as a new parent and you know all your mates are down a pub you're watching their instagram story or your friends are off skiing in the alps or whatever if social media didn't exist you probably wouldn't see any of that no it's so yeah. true yeah yeah so true yeah so then you wouldn't you wouldn't even be able to think about it you wouldn't even know what you're missing until your mate came around and showed you his holiday photos on his polaroid or whatever so actually it's so important to have these kind of little checks and balances for ourselves to say because if i go and do this i'll probably get fomo like the brain is naturally going to get fomo like if you're someone that loves to travel and you follow 10 travel writers on instagram and you're lying in there in bed at night and you've just got your daughter down after an hour of struggle and you're sitting there scrolling you're probably like oh, i'd love to be in italy right now oh i'd love to be exploring the yemen mountains i'd love to be we wouldn't probably have been exposed to those thoughts and now that mental anguish if we hadn't had social media i'm not saying it's a bad thing but it just needs to be acknowledged and moderated so we can be at a good place with it yeah yeah there's uh you know it comes down to that awareness again right because you know you, you, that situation there you probably wouldn't even want to go until you definitely can't <laughs> you know yeah. it's like once that op the door is closed to you because of the kids then you kind of want it want it even more but um yeah it's beautifully put mate beautifully put and just to kind of like take us home mate with the whole long covid thing i noticed that you're doing a little bit of training again on your socials and where are you at with it now mate? how's um how's things day to day how's life yeah day to day i feel normal um you know function brain the rest of it uh i've came back very slowly. I just started walking more. Um, and then I started swimming. There was a lot of anecdotal reports saying that people could like manage a bit of swimming. Um, so I started swimming. I really enjoyed it because you know what it's like when you jump into water, you just feel a bit more awake, a bit more alive. Oh. So literally started with four lengths then six lengths, then eight lengths. And each time I went, I literally just did like two lengths more built up to 40 minutes in the pool nonstop. And then I thought, now I think I'm ready. Um, I'm ready to transition across. Um, I know this is a very woo-woo thing, but I also visited an energy practitioner. And in energy medicine, you can test the body and basically ask it questions. So I worked with the energy practitioner to basically say, where is my body at in its recovery journey? And we basically asked it questions like the swimming that I'm doing right now, is it damaging my recovery? My body said no. 
said that swimming is a good thing. So we asked it, oh, is the body ready to do some running? The body said no. And so we said, oh, when does it think it could start to run? And they said uh, in March. And you basically just keep asking your body questions and you muscle test against it. Now, that is a very woo-woo, non-evidence-based thing. But for me, how else do I know? You know, when you've got something that is on such a fine margin, like there were days where if I walked 7,000 steps instead of 6,000 steps, that was too much physical activity. And the next day I felt like I wanted to be in bed. Like that's the fine margins you're working on with recovery from something like this. So I used that to help guide my recovery. So I kept building up the swimming gently. And then I was at the point where I was like, I think I can do things now. But I also had it backed up by an energy medicine practitioner that said, you know, because there's no, I can't walk into a hospital and say to the practitioners in the hospital, can you test me to see if I'm ready to go back to exercise yet? It doesn't exist. So I get that listeners and people are going to be like, oh, Ben, that's, you know, that's not science. I'm like, well, tell me that, tell me the science that does show when I can do this, because I've been at a point where I've tried to go and do 10 push-ups and been in bed the next day. Um, so yeah, back doing a tiny bit of weight training, again, going to build up really slowly, like snail pace and hopefully get back to where I used to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really, really fascinating. Uh, you know, I'd be probably described as a bit of a woo woo person myself. You know, I'm a bit of a hippie on the sly. And, um, I think that learning to tune into your body and listen to your body is a real skill. It's an art. And I'm a firm believer that your body can tell you everything that you need to know. And it's just learning how to do that. And if you wanted to learn something in a different area, well, you'd work with a coach or a therapist or someone else, you know? So if you want to learn to listen to your body, then an energy practitioner is the, the way to go. And if you went the other route and you went to like maybe your GP and asked them that question, what do GPs always say is, oh, don't do it. You know, like, oh, I've been running and my knee hurts. I'll stop running. You know, that's yeah. always the answer, isn't it? Down, down that route. So, um, you know, when we're not, that's not acceptable to me to be told just to not do something. That's not enough of an answer. So we have to go and have to go and explore. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of the, of the journey, right? The human existence. Yeah. Mm, totally. oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ben. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed that, man. That was, um, crikey. We could have gone to all different sorts of places. That was really, really cool. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I enjoy talking about the mind. I think it's, uh, one of the most powerful tools we want to sharpen and develop. So uh, pleasure's all mine. mental podcast please like and subscribe the space time